Hello everyone, this is Attorney Susan Ingalls. I am at Ingalls Angle on Twitter and Instagram, and you can also find me right here on anchor.fm slash Susan dash Ingalls. And it's Think Like a Lawyer Thursday. You come in here with a skull full of mush, and you leave thinking like a lawyer. Well, today I want to talk to you about the South Carolina Department of Revenue as a debt collector. Now, normally we think of the Department of Revenue as collecting um, our state income taxes. However, South Carolina law provides uh, two ways that certain creditors that are called claimant agencies can have the Department of Revenue collect debts from you, and that's pursuant to South Carolina Code, Title 12. There's a couple of ways they can do that, but first, let's talk about what is a claimant agency. That can be a state agency, board, committee, commission, institution of higher learning, political subdivision, or any other kind of governmental or quasi-governmental entity um, of any state or the United States. So um, that's quite a list. The two ways that they can collect from you those type of debts or through set-off and through something called the GEAR program. Now, typically, um, the types of debts, here's a couple of examples. Um, Medical debt is one. Um, A a student loan debt is another. And even something that you may owe to, um, like a state agency, such as, Um, employment benefits that you were overpaid, for example. So there's any number of things that can be collected. Now, when they do it through set-off, they can withhold your tax refund for the debt that's owed, and they charge you $25 to do that. So sometimes people are surprised when they don't get that state tax refund that they were expecting and the reason is because it was intercepted by the Department of Revenue for one of these debts from a claimant agency. Now, the other way that they can collect is through what's called the GEAR program. And this stands for Governmental Enterprise Accounts Receivable. Now, under that provision, the Department of Revenue can contract to collect debts for any governmental entity. And to do the debt collection, they can use all of the rights and powers of collection that they have already for collecting your state taxes. Those can be wage garnishment, liens on your property, levying your bank account, and even suspending or revoking a business license. So that can get pretty extreme.
the creditor or what's called the claimant agency pays to the Department of Revenue 22% of the amount that it collects. So that's a nice little chunk of money for the Department of Revenue and also easily collected for the claimant agency. And again, in that situation, the Department of Revenue also charges you that $25. So what can you do about all this? Because, let me tell you, they will just accept this information from the claimant agency as true uh, because the Department of Revenue doesn't really have any requirement for verification of these debts. So, you know, it may not even be money that you owe. For example, it could be a double billing or a bill that you've already paid And really, indeed, under the Affordable Care Act, hospitals must have a financial assistance policy and make reasonable efforts to see if you qualify for that before they engage in these extraordinary efforts to collect from you. And if you do qualify, they can't charge you for more than what an insured person would get charged. So that needs to be done first before they go to these extreme debt collections through the Department of Revenue. So you need to always make sure that that gets done. So so how do you challenge these type of collections by the South Carolina Department of Revenue? Well, there is a procedure. First, they must notify you if they're going to do this, um, extreme debt collection, 30 days before they do it. Now, that's not a lot of time. So you've got to, you know, really jump on it, get an attorney, um, or at least make that challenge and request a hearing because they will send you a letter um, in the mail notifying you. And you've just got to respond to that. You've got to open your mail. You know, so often people just when they're in a debt collection situation, they've got a lot of bills to pay, they tend to just kind of throw them away, put them aside. But it's important to open your mail because there's deadlines on these things if you want to assert your rights. Um, So the notice that they give you has to have certain um, language in it to tell you how you can make the challenge, which is essentially asking for a hearing. And um, sadly, that challenge is made to the creditor themselves and that creditor is the one who appoints a hearing officer to hear your challenge to the collection. You really don't have any say in who that is. Uh, But there is an appeal uh, procedure. Now it's important to to challenge, take the challenge, if you don't take advantage of that procedure, um, you really only have one year total to contest the collection of the debt in that manner. And once they've intercepted your tax uh, refund or garnished the wages or something like that, it's sort of what's done has been done, and it's really kind of hard to put that toothpaste back in the tube. 
Um, you do have the appeal rights, so if the decision goes against you, which it most often likely will, then you have 30 days to appeal, and of course you also get that required notice about your appeal rights to um, to do that. And that can be either to the administrative law court, or if you want a jury trial, it can be to the circuit court. Um, and, and it can be important to have a lawyer in these situations. For example, um, a lawyer can help you assert that defense that perhaps the hospital did not review you for the financial assistance uh, program that they're required to have. So yeah, there's some defenses that you can have in addition to just simply not owing the money. So um, always take advantage of those rights when it comes to debt collection and particularly in the situation of uh, the extreme uh, debt collections that the South Carolina Department of Revenue is allowed to do on behalf of claimant agencies. Well, that's all I have on the debt collection by the DOR. So uh, hopefully that's been helpful to you. And as always, um, this is attorney Susan Ingalls. You can find me at Ingalls Angle on Twitter and Instagram and right here on anchor.fm. It's been Think Like a Lawyer Thursday. You come in here with a skull full of mush and you leave thinking like a lawyer. You come in. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hello, this is attorney Susan Ingalls. I am at Ingalls Angle. And the 12 days of Christmas starts today, December 25th. So for 12 days, I will bring you 12 gifts of information on consumer law. Today, on the first day of Christmas, I'm bringing you the one most important thing to do when it comes to your consumer rights, and that is read the contract before you sign it. That's right. Whether you're buying a car, getting a loan, opening a bank account, signing up for a cell phone account, a credit card, or even a mortgage, read the terms and conditions. You know, unfortunately, most people don't read the fine print, even when it is literally in print on paper. And that problem has really become worse with the whole click-to-accept design that is now the norm in the digital age. Of course, I realize that even if you wanted to fully read a contract before you sign it, that may just or be just as burdensome as losing your rights to data and legal recourse, which happens when you sign any contract. In fact, one recent study showed that reading the average American's digital contracts would take nearly 20, um, 250 hours per year. That's almost five hours a week. So a lot of time. But next time you're signing an agreement, whether in print or online, take the time to read some or even all of it so you can at least get a sense of what you're giving up. 
when you make that one click to agree to the terms and conditions. So this has been Susan Ingalls. I am at Ingalls Angle. And on the first day of Christmas, the information I give to you is read the terms and conditions. Hello there. Welcome back to Think Like a Lawyer Thursday. You come in here with a skull full of mush and you leave thinking like a lawyer. Hey, this is attorney Susan Ingalls. You can find me at Ingalls Angle on Twitter and Instagram. And welcome back to another episode of Think Like a Lawyer Thursday. And today we're going to talk about how credit reporting is being affected by COVID-19 and the CARES Act. Now, the CARES Act is the uh, law that Congress passed because of the pandemic, and it has some requirements that specifically apply to credit reporting uh, when you receive an accommodation on a credit account. Now, let's remember that creditors that furnish information on consumer accounts to consumer reporting agencies, or what we call CRAs, have to do so with accuracy and integrity, consistent with the FCRA, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and its regulations, of course. Now, accuracy means that the information provided correctly uh, reflects the terms of and liability of the account, correctly reflects the consumer's performance with respect to the account, and correctly identifies the correct or appropriate consumer. Now, integrity means that the information that is being provided is substantiated by that furnisher's records at the time it's furnished, and also that it's furnished in a form and in a manner designed to minimize the likelihood that the information could be incorrectly reported. So the CARES Act addresses the manner in which certain consumer accounts have to be furnished, and especially uh, in regards to accommodations on those accounts. So under the CARES Act, an accommodation is defined to include five basic things. Uh, it can be an agreement to defer one or more payments, an agreement to make a partial payment, to forbear any delinquent amount, that means put them off to the um, end of the credit account, to modify a loan or a contract, or really any other assistance or relief that might be granted to a consumer who is affected by the coronavirus. Now, when a um, creditor has made an accommodation of one of those uh, types, then a consumer who uh, has made the modified payment or has, for example, been allowed to skip one or more payments, then that uh, furnisher has to do two things. Number one, they have to report the count as current or if it was delinquent before the accommodation, 
then they just have to maintain whatever that delinquent status was during the period of the accommodation. So if the consumer brings the account current during the covered period of the act, then the furnisher must report the account as current. And keep in mind that the covered period would be January 31st of 2020 until 120 days after the date that the national emergency concerning COVID-19 terminates. So that's just a little glimpse into how the CARES Act is affecting credit reporting. So be sure if you have received an accommodation on a credit account that you check with your um, creditor and check your credit report, which you can do free at any time uh, during the pandemic, and make sure that um, it's being reported correctly. And in particular, um, if you bring it current during the covered period of the Act, make sure it's now being reported as current. This has been Susan Ingalls, an attorney in South Carolina. You can find me at Ingalls Angle on Twitter and Instagram. This has been another episode of Think Like a Lawyer Thursday. You come in here with a skull full of mush you leave thinking like a lawyer. Okay, thanks for checking in, everybody.